What's going on, cultivators? This is young adult fiction author Zachary Delano Middleton, author of Running After Delano and Richard Freeman, Teenage Entrepreneur. And I am here with a podcast called Day in the Life of a Professional. The goal of this podcast is helping students to be able to reverse engineer their career journeys uh, through looking at the career journeys of dynamic and diverse professionals, literally spanning from A to Z. My hope is that it will become something like a digital Rolodex where students can uh, look at whatever it is that they're trying to become. They can look it up. And as a result of hearing the work story of a uh, professional uh, that's high character uh, and from a, a variety of different professions, uh, they can better uh, select the profession that they want to pursue. So if you want to check it out, feel free. Stay tuned. Uh, you are listening to Date in the Life of a Professional with me, Zachary Delano Middleton. Be encouraged. Welcome okay. to what, yes. Welcome to what was originally the Imagine Exposure podcast. Uh, I'm in the process of doing some pivoting, so it'll be called the Day in the Life of a Professional podcast. But um, today we have a very, very, very special guest. Uh, this is uh, Maggie Parker. She will introduce herself and uh, kind of give a rundown. But Maggie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Zach, and um, Happy New Year to you and all that jazz. Absolutely. Um, our question right out the gate uh, that we ask every guest is, who are you and how do you define yourself? Who am I? Um, my name is Maggie Parker. I'm from Dallas, Texas. I am a community developer that um, loves to get some really cool projects done. Awesome, awesome. What is your story as it pertains to work and vocation? What is my story? So, um, so let's see, I'm from Dallas. I left for a ton of school, but while I was here, I went to school on one side of town and lived on another. So this dichotomy around like where you live, um, how that impacts your outlook on life, um, really kind of resonated with me as I left for school. So I really got interested in urban planning, um, how cities work, um, you know, what the, how cities change, right, as a result of people, politics, et cetera. And so that kind of dove me, dove me into, uh, really into community development. Um, from that space, you know, I've always been big on how can I be influential and really have the most impact in the work that I was doing. Um, and that ended up being real estate development, um, which, you know, being an urban planner and being in that space, real estate developers are like, the you know the devil of the field right so um yeah it's it's a really interesting dichotomy but um but you know uh, I saw that in order to like actually get deals done and have the impact that I want to have developers were leading that so um for me I was able to pivot into uh, being a real estate developer a lot sooner than I thought um and so I've just been working in that space uh, through my company in Avon neighborhoods uh since 2019. Awesome that's awesome um so you talked about I guess people's perception of you that sort of thing so it kind of prepares us for our third question um but what would you say is the biggest misconception about what you do in your job? Yeah so let me actually back up and explain what I do I don't know okay. if I did that and then I'll do the misconception. So, um, so my company is called Innovon Neighborhoods. We're doing real estate development and consulting all on community oriented projects. 
On the consulting side, I mainly work with nonprofits, faith-based organizations to help move their deals forward. On the development side, um, I'm currently working on three main projects, all um, uh, affordable and a kind of mixed income, so market and affordable units, um, which represent about oh, 300 units and $100 million worth of projects. So that's kind of the big chunk. Um, and then I also have an initiative that I started called the Community Developers Roundtable, which is a network of community-based uh, real estate developers, all people of color, um, and raised about $1.6 million for a pre-development fund, two-year pilot, et cetera. So that's in the works as well. Um, so hopefully that gives a broader context as far as um, biggest misconceptions. So I think a lot of people don't actually understand what it means to be a developer, right? They're like, oh, they're making a ton of money. Oh, they get, you know, why, you know, everyone's kind of questioning, well, why would a developer put this here? Or why would they put that there? And I think a lot of people don't understand the market dynamics, but I think the biggest thing is like how much risk is actually in doing development. So, hmm. you know, um, first you have a lot of personal risk because you have to personally guarantee projects, right? So whatever you have on your personal balance sheet, in addition to your company, you have to put that up with the bank, right? So um, that's a lot of personal risk. Uh, you also have a lot of financial risk. It takes a lot of money to get projects started um, because deals can take, I have projects that I mean, I've been working on for two years and we're, we're probably another year or two from turning dirt. That's just how long it takes, right? So when you keep that in mind and you're spending money in year one, you know, you have to have money that can wait for three, four years, you know, probably even longer before you see any return from that, right? So um, I think the amount of time, the amount of risk that is there is usually the biggest misconception, but it's like high risk, high reward, right? And so that's kind of um, how most developers have to play the game and make the impact that they want to see. That's awesome. That is awesome um, to know how robust, because I know for me, I was introduced to you from a friend of mine and I saw, I uh, see a lot of what you post online, but the totality of what you do is, is so vast and it's really cool. And I think the goal of this podcast is to um, help students be able to uh, re reverse engineer their career paths. And so what they can do is kind of see from your story and hopefully grow and develop within their own. And so that's awesome that you that you share that. Um, who would you say are the people in your vocational story in which you are most grateful? Most grateful. So, um, you know, first I would have to say my parents and my family for sure. Um, you know, they put me in sacrifice to put me into some really amazing schools that allowed me to just be exposed to a lot at a very early stage, right? And so um, that has been huge, right? Like I just would, a lot of things I just would not know was possible without their encouragement and support. Um, well, once I get into like my real full-time job, which was my previous job at the Real Estate Council, um, I would say my immediate boss and the president of the organization really like taught me the nuts and bolts of how this real estate, you know, world works, how community development works, how to build influence. Like they were just uh, pivotal in how to, um, you know, just ma manage people and um, spaces that I was not typically used to. Uh, and then lastly, I would say my current business partners, Matthew Southwest. Um, 
I truly like, but God on partnering with them um, because they have a similar vision, um, but also are willing to take the risk and put up capital and, and patient capital to do these projects. And so their faith in me, my trust in them um, is, is really the only way that I can be doing the projects that I'm doing right now um, at, at such an early stage in this business. So yeah, it's been a great partnership for sure. Um, so uh, this next question, um, a lot of times when we are developing as professionals, you can go back 10 years or, or uh, longer and you can look at these traces of yourself uh, when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, that are similar to what you do today in your uh, current profession. And so this question is, how do your childhood passions as a kid prepare you for your adult career choice? My childhood passions. Now I gotta remember what my passions were. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was involved in a lot of different things. So whether that was sports or whether, you know, I did a lot of like um, uh, student government stuff. Um, so I was kind of the person that liked to, for things to be organized and to, I, I do like working in a group. I don't work in a group as much um, with my current job, but I think that my, the things that I was doing when I was younger, I was just more so exploring what I was interested in. I spent a lot of time doing a lot of different internships or shattering people. So I always encourage people to like, the, especially the younger you are, just try different stuff. It's better to know the things that you don't like um, than, you know, and, and then you know not to spend time on that. You can go explore something else. So I did a lot of that. Um, and then a lot of the things that I was interested in were, um, you know, allowed me to have different leadership positions, allowed me to work on um, kind of process and getting people organized and excited about whatever we were working on. Um, so I kind of took those leadership opportunities because that was just something I was interested in. Um, but I, I was involved in a lot of different things. So whether that was sports or topics on race relations or managing volunteer uh, opportunities for different groups in, in schools and neighborhoods, um, you know, so it, it really did vary. Um, so this uh, next question is about the economy of words. Um, how can you explain what you do as a professional in one sentence? Then how can you explain what you do as a professional in one word? Um, in one word, I'll say impact. Mm -hmm. In one sentence, what do I do? Hmm. I would say um, bring various community community and let's say influential stakeholders together to revitalize neighborhoods. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, it's just it's a, it's such a, a need everywhere. You know, um, I'm in South Carolina, and I would only imagine like what you see in Dallas is one space in that, but. Uh, there's always a need for development in various communities and uh, it's very mm -hmm. important work. Um, what would you say is the, the thing that you love the most about your job? What do I love the most? 
I mean, for me, like the cool part is like coming up with this concept and figuring out how to execute it. I am, I'm really good at getting things started, pulling a vision together, pulling people around a vision, getting other people excited about it um, and like getting it done. And then after I figure out how to get it done, I'm like, okay, somebody actually like sustain it, you know? Um, and so I, I like the problem solving component of it. I love working with um, others and helping them see see their dreams come to reality. So like I get to do that through the roundtable, um, you know, as we're developing different projects, you know, I'm, I'm very attentive to what the neighborhood stakeholders say with, that they want, right? So in that space, sometimes it takes a lot of creativity and political new maneuvering or finding different capital sources in order to do that. Um, and so I just, I like that part. Um, of the messiness that kind of gets to come together. Um, and so I think for me, all of that leads to like impact that you wouldn't necessarily see if, um, you know, if everyone was kind of, if I was doing the traditional real estate development space, um, but it's, it's kind of the messiness that gets to come together that I enjoy the most. Mm, that's interesting. Most people wouldn't make that connection, but that's cool. <laughs> you are that way. Um, when you say the biggest challenge in your work, what would you say is the thing that when you go to work every day, you're like, ah, what is that your largest challenge? Right now, <laughs> politics and people. Ah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when we talk about doing community engagement, it's never what we think it is, right? Like, because you can say, oh, you went to the neighborhood leaders or, oh, you went and talked to whoever's the, you know, um, council person over that district or whatever. And people think differently about what neighborhoods they actually represent, who actually is running the show in power, you know. Um, and so you can easily step into it. I'm, I'm in the middle of this right now. I, I stepped into a situation where I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm following the neighborhood plan. I talked to so-and-so, you know, I did what the city asked. Like, so I'm thinking I'm getting all the stakeholders. No, it wasn't nothing like that, you know, oh, wow. and people just had a different perception of who was running the show, what they what they wanted in their neighborhood, all of that. So hmm. I think it's the people side that is the hardest piece because it it, it changes daily. Right. Hmm. Um, how you manage people, who you talk to, when those are things you kind of have to fill out. It's nothing that you can like look in a book or you know try to try to learn it's a it's a dynamic that is just continues to be unknown so that's probably the biggest challenge is the people side and politics politics is, is something else and i feel like it, it goes into a lot of different areas but i can only imagine the politics you have to deal with uh within your job um what would you say are the steps that a person must accomplish to become certified or respected uh, in your uh, profession? Yeah, so there isn't necessarily a certification. I mean, I guess there are certifications like um, to learn more housing development, like financing, economic development financing. So uh, National Development Council is one example. I have certifications from them. Um, but you really don't need anything. You really need um, capital and to be around people that have experience, that are willing to teach you, right? Um, I think that on the development side, there's so many ways that you can 
like be an expert in this space. Like you can be an expert on the construction side. You can be an expert on the financing side. You can be an expert on the relationship side. Um, and there's like a ton of things you can go into the weeds on that. I think what's typically hardest for folks is figuring out how to pull the money together and build their relationships to get the deal done. Most other things you can hire out for. So your general contractor, your architect, your uh, land developer, you know, um, but having the relationships for financing is not always easy. Um, having the relationships where people want to support, you know, your deal on the political level is not always easy. Um, so those are some of the things that have to kind of come together, um, you know, to make a deal happen. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's kind of the thought process. But that's perfect. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm always engaging is more of an academic vision for what a person ought to do. You need to go to college, you need to do this, you need that. And I think that one of the things that's really cool about this podcast is there are a lot of professionals who say, this may not be needed, or this is what is needed, or uh, focus your efforts and your attention here. And so I think it's a great resource uh, for students to be able to start thinking critically about what does it look like to, to save or to uh, raise capital? What does it look like to get into these spaces and get experience uh, on a uh, uh, construction site? And so uh, I think that that's what the whole goal is. And so you did answer the question. Um, it's just not, it's not an easy uh, answer. <laughs> because yeah. that's, that's a career profession. And, and, and uh, let, me, let me build on that as well. So I do think like you got to have like a baseline um, like understanding of, of projects, right? And like figure out which, from which angle you want to delve into that. Where I tell most folks, cause I'm like, I'm mainly in the community development space. So these are people who have a heart for neighborhoods. Mm. Where most people who want to do this work are not skilled at is doing financial analysis and development pro formas. And I like stress that all day. If you can learn one thing, it's how to do a development pro forma. There's plenty of classes online. You know, you could learn it in school, you know, and I, for me, I learned it in like a, in graduate school, but not in a class actually with the on-campus consulting firm. Um, but that is like the main differentiator because we always have these ideas of what, what needs to happen in neighborhoods, but figuring out how the money actually flows and how all the capital sources work together and what to even look for in that conversation is probably the biggest gap. So if somebody's gonna spend some time and some money like getting trained, that would be where I would spend time and resources for sure. Um, let's see. Okay, so this particular question is specifically for communities of color. I know that historically, uh, there's a variety of different reasons why uh, we've been left out of certain conversations, uh, specifically when it, when it ties to money and it ties to our value, our worth, negotiation, et cetera, specifically in real estate. Even uh, I had an opportunity to do a project uh, Dallas years ago, and, and there are some interesting stories. Uh, I uh, got a chance to serve in the South Dallas neighborhood, Pleasant Grove and that sort of thing, and just uh, how sometimes people can be taken advantage of in a lot of different ways. Uh, without the knowledge or resources. So, um, so my question to you is, what? how does a person negotiate salary or the value of their services in this career choice? Um, so technically developers don't make a salary. You get your developer's fee, right? So 
Um, there's usually within your developer's fee, there's typically a range based on the size and type of project. So that can range from five to 15% of the overall development cost. Um, some of that you kind of, you get to know as you learn more deals, like what percentage of the deal you should be charging. Um, on the consulting side, you know, I, I think that that's, that can be a little bit harder because if you're only doing consulting, like as your full-time gig, then there's a lot of other components that you have to assess, right? Like not just the value of your time, but also, um, you know, what, what taxes are going to be taken out, right? Like how much are you thinking about um, what your additional administrative overhead is? right? Like then that all adds up on top of your base salary. So that's kind of the baseline for the consulting piece on, you know, for me, consulting is not the main driver. So I can probably, I don't have to add as many components um, uh, or have as many uh, costs to my consulting fee. Um, but it does, you know, it does bring in revenue just to kind of keep some some dollars going um but the main source for me is the developer's fee all right um this is the time machine question if you could go back and talk to maggie of 2019 or even prior to that based on what you know now on your vocation what advice would you give yourself if you can go back on the first day of the job if i could go back um <laughs> you know that's hard for me because mm -hmm. I I can't even like anticipate if you asked me if I was going to be doing what I'm doing now three years ago five years ago I would have been like no way like what what is that you know what I'm saying I I, uh -huh. I can't even fat like I learned something last week that I'm still like flabbergasted about so so random fact, did you know that HOA dues, so homeowner association dues are like five times more expensive for townhomes than they are for single family? Like I had no clue. So, you know, so it's hard for me to go back in time and say, what would I tell myself? Because it's like, I, I couldn't even imagine, right? The mm -hmm. things that are going on. I mean, I'd probably say like, just rest, you don't have to go as fast as you have, you know, everything doesn't have to be, you know, but I also think like I'm in this position because I pushed myself, you know, and now I have to take a different speed of work because mm -hmm. these deals take so long. And previously I'm like, so what are we doing next? What are we doing next? You know? So, um, there's plenty I've learned, but I don't know. I don't, I don't have like a distinct, like what, you know, what I tell myself, for now because I just can't even imagine it. I don't think I could have imagined things, the things. So yeah. <laughs> and I I I jump you know, my mind kind of thinks like more like story. And I'm thinking of the fact that you started a business in 2019, pre-pandemic, not knowing what it was going to be. Boom, you hit the pandemic and like now you're out of it's almost like these chapters, right? <laughs> just chronologically, like I mean. That, that in and of itself is wild, you know what I mean, to, to start something in, in that space. So, uh, I can only imagine uh, what, what you went through. Um, so how would you, how do you prepare to one day transition from this role? We start talking about in-game retirement. What's your, what's your transition time? 
So in my ideal world, I, I'm, I'm running Innovon still. I mean, to me, this is my lifelong business. I have no reason to do anything else because I'm doing what I enjoy, you know? Really? <laughs> um, but I want to own a house in South Africa and live there three mm. months out of the year. I already wow. know the beach that I want to be on. Like, it's already planned in my head. I just need to yeah. do it. So, <laughs> little, um, little thing, little thing. Yeah, so my retirement plan <laughs> is to do that, to have built this business enough to support enough other developers um, where I don't have to be here all the time because there's a team that's running it um, and I kind of know what the flow of things are going to be. And when I come back to Dallas, I can do what I need to do. And otherwise, I'm out in South Africa chilling. So that's that's my plan. <laughs> I love it. That's a big vision. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so the next thing, the last two questions, uh, I asked everyone to do a cultivate countdown. Basically, what are some essential principles that you take to work every day um, that you can hopefully uh, that another person who is a developer uh, looking up to you in your shoes uh, could say these are the essentials that Maggie takes each day. So what would you say are, is your cultivate countdown um, the steps to uh, or the essentials to be uh, great at your job every day? Hmm. Um, one is plan for the long term. This is this work and to really have community impact is a 20 year minimum, minimum 20 year journey. Okay. And so when you think long term, it actually changes like your decision making process, right? How you view relationships. It's a game changer when you when you think with a long term vision versus like what's happening next week, you know, Um so that's one. I would say that um, another thing I kind of keep close to me is like, if it was easy, it would already be done. This work is hard, you know, and um, everyone doesn't recognize that, which is okay. But um, for myself and for any other developer, that means that uh, we have to reassess what does success look like? What does progress look like? You know, you can't be down. And I, for me, at the beginning of my business, I was like, well, shoot, I haven't built any houses yet. Like, I, I haven't really done anything. This business isn't working, you know. But I have to realize, like, yeah, actually, you're moving projects forward. There's progress on that. And you're way closer than you were six months ago or a year ago. And so success, I had to reframe what success looks like for sure. Um, I think as we know in any other business like relationships is huge um, and building influence for me is a is a primary component of that I think in order to really impact neighborhoods you have to be influential you build influence through trust and serving others right and so I build into how I operate that I want to you know I'm serving others in the work that I'm doing um, and on an ancillary time frame, right? Anytime somebody wants to meet or they have questions or I can be a resource for them, I'm like, yeah, let's set up a meeting, right? I'd much rather support your work um, and build that relationship with you so that 10 years from now, you know, we have a rapport, you know? So those are some of the things that I kind of keep close to me as I operate because it's a mindset shift to to really want to see impact, but having the patience to have the impact that you want to have, influence to do that repeatedly, so. No, I, I, I appreciate you uh, breaking that down for us and, and being able to kind of just see the things that are, that are important and key. Um, 
I, I feel like there's a way in which no job profession, you can read a book all day, but talking to someone and just kind of seeing what you go through is very important to you. All right, our last question. Uh, this is the question that also goes on a meme. And uh, in your words, ideally, um, if you have words that you know somebody has encouraged you with, uh, feel free to share as well. But what is your one motivational quote? One motivational quote that would inspire others in your vocation or just in life in general? Mm. Motivational quote. So, I'm drawing a blank. Can we come back to that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I don't have a motivational quote. I'd say the things I said before are things that I try to keep, you know, um, close to me. Um, you know, something I think also a lot about is like, like being committed to something is, um, I think a lot like, and committed to something for that 20 year time frame. like what are the little actions that are gonna um, get you to that 20 year goal? Like those are things that I think about a lot. Um, yeah, we might have to come okay. back to that one. <laughs> not, not a problem. What I, I, I can do is I can talk. <laughs> And so as you're gathering uh, your thoughts, um, first off, thank you uh, for being taking, taking time out of your day uh, to be here. Uh, I know that it's going to encourage and uh, really help a lot of people in, 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 a, in a general sense. Um, I think one of the things that's so interesting about just Dallas in general is uh, the real estate, <laughs> you know, um, and just the story of Dallas. But uh, the, if you go into one specific area within Dallas, uh, it's an entire different, I really feel like an almost an entire different city, <laughs> you know, literally. And um, I think that's so cool. And, and there's so many things that are tied to some of, some of the, the reason rationale for parts of the city being the way that it is, is not good, right? Um, going back to some, some of the parts of Dallas history, that's just tough. But um, I think that one thing, Texans, I, I'm, I'm from South Carolina, but I lived in Texas for five years. You guys, y'all love Texas. Y'all love your oh. cities. Y'all love where you're from and it's just it's really encouraging um i um i'm working on a, a series right now um uh, that's kind of an ode to texas so from an outsider's perspective uh it's called the backstory to the trampoline academy and so think chronicles of narnia come to the inner city and so that's kind of what i'm working on now sure. and uh i'm sitting down with someone who is uh, uh from texas to help with the, the cover and things like that but love the city and i love uh kind of everything that you guys uh offer and what what it's about so um that's really cool so but thank you for doing the podcast. And uh, if you have that motivational quote, I think it'd be really cool. I don't know if you, it's come to you <laughs> in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'll say is like, um, just enjoy the learning process, right? Like there's so many ways to learn and continue to be curious. Um, and honestly, like continuous curiosity will take you far, right? Because other mm -hmm. folks want to pour into people that are curious, right? And so, um, I think that to me has, has been huge. And, and let me also tell you, thank you for having me on here. Um, Dallas is, a, we're doing a lot of fun stuff in Dallas and I'm, you know, it's great to kind of hear the work that you're doing as well uh, from your lens and how you're supporting people um, and thinking about their trajectory. So congrats and kudos to you as well. Sounds awesome. And you had two great quotes in there. Um, and I just, that's growth mindset and so many other things, that's awesome. Um, where would you want uh, people to find you if, if they wanted to uh, find your business or find 
uh, what you what you do, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, so I'm primarily on LinkedIn. So uh, Maggie Parker, Maggie J. Parker, I think is on there, or my company name, Innovon Neighborhoods. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, with Innovon Neighborhoods, and Innovon is I-N-N-O-V-A-N. So. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for your time. You have a great day, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you see everything that you are, are envisioning uh, in terms of, of your big vision for what you want to do, and uh, I really believe that that's going to happen, so I'm excited about that. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate it. All right. You have a good one. You too. And really quick, I'm going I'm to stop the recording. Would you mind... Um, What's going on, guys? This is Zach again. Thanks so much for checking out my podcast. I want to invite you to check out my book, my, uh, my second novel, which is called Richard Freeman, Teenage Entrepreneur, uh, Book One, The P-U-S-H Push Collective. Uh, here's a summary of the book. The freshman class at Septima Clark High School can't go on their class trip unless the students can raise enough money to cover half the cost. Richard Freeman and his friends form the P-U-S-H or Push Collective and create a fundraising plan to host a school-wide talent show. Throughout their fundraising journey, they learn life lessons on entrepreneurship. Each chapter invites the reader to take the entrepreneurial journey with them. Structured after the mini Teenage Detective series of yesteryear, this fictional series aims to teach financial literacy and entrepreneurial imagination through storytelling. Instead of mysteries, the South Carolina teens solve entrepreneurial problems that impact their community. Book one captions the origin story of the P.U.S. H. Push Collective, made up of Rashard Freeman, Jamie Shahope, Tiana Robinson, and Keyshawn Ute Young. In this book, Rashard is challenged as a leader. When he makes a critical mistake that may cost everyone, will he try to save himself, or will he learn that the success of an organization is never just a one-person affair? And if you're looking uh, for a copy of this book, either go to my website, gracetocultivate.com, uh, that's grace to cultivate, uh, like the, uh, the spelling of this business, or just type in Richard Freeman, Teenage Entrepreneur, Book One, The Push Collective. All right, have a great day. Be encouraged.